question this morning. And that's, what would you do if, if you found out you had just been given a million dollars? Interesting question. I, I, I wanted to just give you a couple of uh, responses to that. The first is a, uh, I don't know how old she is, maybe a junior high girl uh, who's pondering the question. It's about a minute and 20 seconds here. She has uh, 15 views on her blog, and uh, now she has 16. And so uh, I just want you to listen to her very innocent uh, wrestling with that question. What, what would you do with a million dollars? Hey guys, so today's question is, what would you do with a million dollars? I would start out and save like $100,000 for like college and stuff like that. Because that's important stuff. And then I would probably, you know, take a trip of Europe. Uh, say, that'd take up some money. <laughs> Wait a year. I would take the money I spent for college and go to UCLA in California and just use the money to live like a decent life in California while I'm trying to get my acting career off and pay off my parents' debts with the rest of it. So it's pretty boring, I know. I would probably buy a lot of books with it, buy a lot of songs on, on iTunes. But other than that, I don't think I'd really do a lot with it. I'd do boring stuff with it, like, you know, pay off bills and get an education, go on vacation and stuff like that. But what would you guys do with a million dollars? Is there something I'm forgetting? Like, should I buy an elephant and just ride around in the streets waving at people? I mean, that'd be interesting. I might get arrested, but that'd be interesting. So comment below, tell me what you'd do. So yeah, what would you do with a million dollars? Comment below, tell me, talk to me, subscribe, bye! Okay, I thought of writing her. I have a few things I'd like to tell her. <laughs> First of all, spending a million dollars does not need to be boring. Uh, <clears throat> that's one of the things I'd like to tell her. But that's an interesting question. And I think uh, hers is a pretty classic, uh, a pretty classic response. It wasn't real extravagant, but it's an interesting question. I wanted to show you another clip, and you've seen this before. But it's interesting, this is a young man who, at age 17, got as a graduation present a trip around the world and a million dollars. And so uh, I want you to just listen to a description of what he did with his life. <clears throat> When William Borden, the heir to the multi-million dollar Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from high school, his gift was a trip around the world. Now, while your average 18-year-old is going to be living it up and enjoying the time of their life, Borden experienced a growing concern for the lost of the Middle East and Asia. He wrote home, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. In the back of his Bible, he wrote two words, no reserves. Enrolling at Yale University, Borden promptly began a student ministry. By the end of his freshman year, he had 150 freshmen meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By his senior year, 1,000 out of Yale's 1,300 students were involved in this ministry. In a personal journal entry, he defined the source of his spiritual strength by saying, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. 
Beyond campus, Borden was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in New Haven. He loved the widows and the orphans and the disabled. To help men who were caught in the destructive lifestyle of alcoholism, he founded something called the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he, quote, might be often found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, or in some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. After graduation in the class of 1909, Borden declined numerous high-paying job offers because of this growing sense of a call to mission that was now specifically focused on Muslims in China. At that time, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. Borden went on to Princeton Seminary, and then after that, set sail for China. Now, he stopped in Egypt on the way for some Arabic studies, but while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within one month's time, the 25-year-old Borden was dead. I mean, just think about that. I'm 27, and at 25, his life was over. You know, was Borden's untimely death a waste? No, not in God's plan. Just prior to his death, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. Underneath no reserves and no retreats, he wrote the words, no regrets. William Borden <clears throat> died at age 25, owned, had a million dollars, but owned practically nothing, not even a car. This morning, we're going to talk about money. We're talking about idols, and I have picked this one to start with because it is probably the number one idol uh, in America. It is probably the most deceptive idol that there is, and one of the most, certainly one of the most powerful when Jesus was making a point about saying you can't serve two masters, you can't serve me and something else, he could have picked uh, one of a hundred different things. You know what he picked? He said you cannot serve God and mammon, you cannot serve God in money or things. Because that is probably one of the greatest. You maybe heard these statistics. Jesus talked a lot about money. In the Bible there are about two, 23, over 2,300 verses in the Bible regarding money. One in every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is about material things. Over half of the parables are about money. The reason he talks about it a lot is because money is very powerful. And you know what's very interesting? The more money we have and the more money a culture has, the stronger the idol becomes. It's not like as we have more, we become more content. The inverse is actually true. As we actually have more, we can actually even become more discontent as a culture. We see that in the recent financial crisis. You look at a number of the leaders, uh, leading executives in that crisis. We look at the chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, who hanged himself in his basement. Chief Executive Officer Sheldon Good, a leading real estate auction house, very highly involved. He shot himself in the head behind the wheel of his red Jaguar. One of the French uh, money managers who managed many of the royal families of Europe lost $14 billion. He hanged himself in his $500 a night suite. 
And we could go on and on about that. We see a, a growing inequity in, the, uh, in this country in which you and I live. The middle class continues to shrink. You know, biblically, there was a system which God ordained and set up to prevent that from happening. Every, every 50 years, everything went back. But not so in our day. Today, 1% of Americans now own 40% of the wealth. In fact, you could take 400 Americans in this country and they would own more than the rest of the country combined. 80% of the people in America own 7% of all the wealth. And when you look at the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, on an average, an employer will work for eight hours a day for one month to earn what a CEO will earn in one hour. Such is the inequity that we see in the culture in which we live. And we began to look at the global stats and we realize, you know, if you're at the poverty level in America, you're in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. Most of us in this room right now are in the top 2 or 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so when the Bible talks to the rich, and we'll look at that this morning, he's really talking to all of us in this room. The reason we don't feel rich is because our, our lifestyles are such that it consumes all of our money. We can barely make it. And yet, we find that there are people that live on far, far less than you and I would ever imagine that we could live on. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time as we go through these series talking about all of the negative things about whatever topic it is we're talking about. I mean, I could go on for an hour and talk about all the greed. Uh, I could... We can talk about examples. Uh, I was reading of a young, uh, a young gal who gets a million dollar a month uh, inheritance and she was thirsty for some Coke so she sent a jet to the U.S. at a cost of $30,000 to pick up a case of Coke. That is the kind of waste that we see uh, in our country. And so we, we could talk about that and go on and on about that but I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, in the ditches, we're talking about the highway of holiness. I don't want to spend a lot of time in the ditches. What I want us to do is to look at what is God's design for money. How did, you know, what did God design to be the plan for how we, we view money and how we use it in our lives? And so that is my goal as we go through each one of these today. And the first thing that that I want to say that God is not opposed to making money. In fact, God has ordained that we would make money. It is God's will for you that you make money and that you have money to buy things with. He may want you to make more money than you need. There's nothing wrong with making more money than you need. Money is not the root of all evil. Over and over. I, I heard this conversation 20 times with my grandparents. My grandmother would always say, uh, <clears throat> she would always say, Earl, you know, money is the root of all evil. And he would always remind her, no, Edith, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. There's nothing wrong with money. And so we see here that God has a design for money. And so in the, in the time that we have left, 
in these next 20 minutes or so, I want to I wanna talk about what that design is. And I'm going to mention just a couple things up front, just some general things I think are really important. And then we're going to move to a passage in Second Timothy or 1 Timothy that I think is one of the most balanced passages in all the Bible and is, is very instructive for us. Uh, one of the bottom line things, though, that's so important to remember is, as the Scripture states, that God owns it all. And, and that, is, that is bottom line in, in our understanding of money is that God owns everything. God is the one that gives us ability to make wealth, but God owns it all. God really owns the next breath that you and I take. Because he is the creator of it all, he is the sustainer of it all, and so that understanding helps us realize that we are, we are really more stewards than we are owners. And that will dramatically change how you look at money. All right? We own things on a legal basis in this country, but in reality, God is the owner of all things. And so, we see that God is the one to whom we are responsible. There are basically three things you do with money and only three things you do with it. Um, <clears throat> one is you either, you either spend it or you save it or you give it. And those are the three things that we do with money. The Bible talks about all three of those. And there are two ways, there are two ways to get enough money in your life. If you don't have enough money in your life, there are two things you can do. One is you can make more or you can desire less. Those are the two things. And either of those, by the way, will work. So let's go to this passage. Let's look at God's design for money. And it's Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young man. He's writing. You know, there are people that have come to faith. And, and when you come to faith, the opportunity you have to make money and make more money, I think, for many people, increases. Certainly there are those that God calls to, to service and ministry and so forth. But for many people, you know, when, when God begins to transform your life and you become honest and you become a man, a person of integrity, a man or a woman of integrity, and you work hard, the chances are you are going to prosper. And so that is certainly God's design for us that, that we would prosper. There are two groups in 1 Timothy 6 that Paul speaks to, and I would like to read that for you this morning. 1 Timothy 6, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. This is Paul's writing to people who are not rich, but would like to be, okay? There's two groups here. The first one is people that are rich, or not rich, but would like to be. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, there we have a word to those 
who want to be rich. In other words, you don't have to have a lot of money for money to be an idol. In fact, you can be dirt poor and money can still be an idol. His warning is to those who desire, notice that word, those who desire to be rich. It's great to desire to work hard. It's great to desire to be successful at something. But when the bottom line in your life is, is that you want to become rich because of the stuff that that represents, that's when it becomes dangerous. This is one of the ditches, this discontent with what God has provided. Now, if we just back up and back up with me just in the verse 5. Um, he's talking there and, and he says, in constant friction, he's talking about between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So there were people that think, were thinking that, you know, godliness was... You know, the purpose of that was, would be to, to get ahead financially. And so in verses 6 to 10, he's speaking to this. And so what we see here is that those who imagine that godliness is a means of gain, he says, the gain in living a holy life, the gain that you and I should have in living a holy life is not material gain, it's to be contented. Contentment is what he says is, is the reward of the godly life. That is the gain. You can't buy contentment. I mean, what good is a million dollars or ten million dollars or a hundred million dollars if you're not content? But if you are content, it really doesn't matter how much money you have. The goal here is contentment. And it's not based on how much money we have. And then Paul shares some insight as to why money is not gain in this situation. And he lists a number of things. Number one, he says, we can't take it with us. You brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. You can't take it with you. Like the guy who, who told his spouse when he died he wanted $100,000 cash that he had saved up in his room. And the lady asked him, if, asked the widow, she said, well, did you do it? She said, yeah, I did. She said, I wrote him a check. So. But, you know, the people live like they're going to take it with them. Even in the, you know, in the old Egyptian tombs, they would, they would put stuff in the casket somehow thinking that they were going to be able to take this with them. But the scripture teaches that you brought nothing into the world and you will exit with nothing. You've heard the saying, how much did Rockefeller leave? He left it all. I mean, that comes that moment when you take your last breath and it does not matter what you have amassed in this world. We leave it all behind. And so the statement, you know, if you have food to eat and clothes and a place to lay your head, if that's all God provides, and God may provide more, but if that's all He does, you can be content with that. You can be content with that because you will take nothing out of this world. He also tells us that people wanting, that people who want to get rich, that they, it says you put you in a place of temptation. 
And there are all kinds of snares and harmful desires that lead to ruin and dead-end streets for those that, that want to get, have this desire to get rich. I mean, just read through the stories of the winners of the lotteries. You ever done that? It's tragic. There are few who have been able to survive that, but for most, the majority of those who win those millions, they wish they had never won it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil, and it has ruined the lives and families of many, many people. Andrew Carnegie was a very successful, uh, one of the wealthiest men in his day in the world. He was a forerunner of U.S. Steel. One of the most profitable business enterprises in the world. And at age 33, he wrote this note to himself in a memorandum. This is what he wrote. Man must have an idol. The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol more debasing than the worship of money. Whatever I engage in, I must push inordinately. Therefore, should I be careful to choose the life which will be the most elevating in character? To continue much longer overwhelmed by business cares and with the thoughts with most of my thoughts wholly upon the way to make more money in the shortest time, must degrade me beyond the hope of permanent recovery. I will resign business at 35. But during the ensuing two years, I wish to spend the afternoons in securing instruction and reading systematically. Those are the words from, from his memorandum that he wrote at age 33. Unfortunately, he never followed through, did not resign in those two years. And the very character-degrading effects that he saw, the danger that he saw in his pursuit, actually overtook him. It is written of Carnegie, he built 2,059 libraries. But a steelworker, speaking for many, told an interviewer, we didn't want him to build a library, we would have just rather had decent wages. At that time, steel workers worked 12-hour shifts on floors so hot they had to nail wooden platforms under their shoes. Every two weeks, they toiled an inhumane 24-hour shift and then got their sole day off. The best housing they could afford was crowded and filthy. Most died in their 40s or earlier from accidents or disease. Thus, the danger of the pursuit of wealth. Well, Paul then jumps to those who are rich. And I, I think this is most instructive today because this includes the vast majority of us in this room. <clears throat> and it's really, it's really important, I think, for us to realize that. You know, Jesus said greed is very deceptive. And you know, most of us here, if, if we were to be asked, do you think you're rich? I, I would guess 95% of us would say no. But the truth of the matter is that we are rich. I am, I am personally, and I mean, I don't make a lot of money, but I'm, I'm in the top 1.5% of the richest people in the world. And most of us in this room are in the top 5% of, uh, of the wealthiest people in the world. And so we need to realize how richly 
uh, how much God has blessed us with. And so these are the words to us. And I, I love these words. You know, sometimes you read things in the Bible like in Acts where they, they, they took all, it seems like they took all they had and sold it. And, and, and you have, you know, Jesus who said to the <clears throat> rich young ruler, you know, go and sell all that you have. And then you have, you know, stories of Solomon and, and David and, <clears throat> and Abraham and, and how God blessed with masses of riches. <clears throat> And so what, you know, how do you, how do you put that together? What, what does God expect of us? Uh, I think this passage is, is very instructive. 17 through 19, here's what it says. He writes, Command those who are rich in this world, this present world, <clears throat> not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment and command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Those are some wonderful, wonderful words and if we break that down here, if we break down these, these words, we, we see here just what God is, is asking us to do. By the way, let me just say this. God wants you to make money. In fact, the scripture says, if a man will not work, neither let him eat. Those are pretty strong words. Uh, in the Antioch study, one of the doctrines of the New Testament is the, is the doctrine of work and how critical it was in the early church not to be idle and to work hard and to work up to your ability and to use the gifts that God has given you. So work is very sacred. God created us to work and, and to work as best as we can and in so doing, to prosper uh, as we'll see, for God's purposes in our life. Notice what he says. As for the rich, and I love this, you might, you might miss this if you're reading it, but this caught my attention. Command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who are rich in this present world, or the word there, the word there is actually in this present age. And what you realize when he said that is that there's evidently another one, Right? Instruct those who are present in this age. He reminds us there's another age. And the Bible says, remember, this one is the short one. This one is the little one. This is the one that's like a blade of grass in the morning. This is the one that's like a mist. This is the one that's like a sigh. And so, don't live your life ignorant of the fact that the eternal age is the one to come. But those who, are pre who, those who are rich in this age, here's what we are told to do. And here's what we are reminded of. This is the eternal. This is the eternal one. He says, number one, there's two don'ts. Number one, don't be arrogant. Okay? Don't be arrogant. Money makes you know better. Money makes you no know better than someone else. If you walked by a welfare line a half mile long with people and you walk by and you think that somehow because you're not in that line that you're better 
then you have a problem. Because our value is not based, first of all, on what we have or what we own. And you know, it's, things are very subtle. We think, well, you know what? I work hard. And I'm responsible. And so that's why I'm not in that welfare line. Well, you're not in that welfare line because God has orchestrated events in your life and decisions that you have made and, and different things. And, and praise be to God, but it's by His grace that you and I aren't there. And so don't, don't be arrogant. If you've been blessed, lift your hands to God and say, God, I, I thank you for this. Help me, help me to be responsible with this tremendous blessing that you've given me in my life. How could I help people standing in that line? And that's not an easy question. I'm, I'm not talking about just handing out things to people. We had a conversation with Janelle the other day in Nepal. One of her biggest struggles is how to help people without giving them money because you begin to set up a relationship that's not healthy. And so, but how can we, you know, how can we help God? You know, if God has blessed you, don't be arrogant about it. Realize it's from God. And then he says, don't set your hope on money. Don't set your hope on money. It's all passing away. It's, it's all going to be gone. I love the line from that song, Things. Lying in the junkyards, rusting in the rain, lie things that took the finest years of lifetimes to obtain. Think about that the next time you drive by a junkyard. And just think of the effort and the work it took and the hours and the investment and, and, and now it's rusting away in the junkyard somewhere. Don't set your hope on money. You'll be dramatically disappointed. And then he tells us what to do. Here's what you're to do. He says, put your hope in God, number one. Put your hope in God because you know what? In Him you are rich. I mean, let's, let, let's forget about, I mean, this temporal stuff, I mean, what's really important is that you're rich in the age to come. Jesus said if you're in Christ, you're rich. Right? We have riches that are eternal. And as we'll see here, we can also invest in that next age. Put your hope in God. Number one, don't put your hope in your money. Number two, enjoy what He blesses you with. Did you know that in the Old Testament, there were actually two tithes. One was brought to the Levites and to help the poor. The other tithe was brought and the purpose of it was to spend it on whatever your heart desired. God said, I want you to take a portion of what you don't need that I bless you with and I want you to just celebrate my goodness. Just enjoy it. You don't need to go out for supper, but you know what? I want you to take a portion. I want you to take a portion of what I blessed you with, and I want you to enjoy it in celebration of my goodness to you. So, it says, God who, who blesses us with all things to enjoy. Thirdly, it says, do good, be rich in good deeds. And there's a connection here with, you know, we, we often can use the extra money God's given us to do these kinds of things. And then he says, be generous and willing to share. Be generous. Develop a heart of generosity. 
Develop a heart that, you know, when extra money comes in, the first thing is not, okay, what can, I, what can I get for myself? The question when extra money comes in is, who could I bless with this? I mean, how fun would that be? To bless someone else's life with this. And you will be storing up treasure for the future age. That's the promise. You know, they talk about investing in securities. You know what they should be called? They should be called investing in insecurities. But they're not going to call them that. That's what they are. They're not secure. God is the one that deals with securities. And whatever you invest in his kingdom is secure. And it will carry over. And it will multiply. As Jesus said, a hundred times over, it will multiply. It's not that God wants you to be poor. He wants you to be rich, but don't invest it all here. It's all passing away. Invest it in, in what God has in store in the future age. That is the understanding that will keep you on the road to holiness. So here's the summaries. Spend it on what you need. Enjoy some of it. Don't trust in it. And be generous. Use the extra God gives you to do good deeds. That's the highway of holiness in terms of money as, as God calls us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then we'll receive our offering as we conclude. And during that offering, I'd like you to watch a video. And I want you to think about this. If you had $400 to spend today on a new laptop or $400 that would bring about what you're going to see on this video, I want you to contrast those two expenditures this morning. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, teach us through your Holy Spirit today. Father, create in us a heart of generosity. We are such rich people. And help us to remember, Father, that ultimately our richness is only in you. And so just teach us through your word today. We pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.